We're doing villains now, I'm Dracula. Villains. Dracula. Podcast where we look at the various films nominated for MTV Movie Awards in their various categories and try and figure out who really should have won. I'm Kenny Sage, a foremost movie expert. And I'm Ben Craig, a foremost villainy expert. And we're here, and today we're here to talk about Best Villain 2011. How are you, Ben? I'm doing really, really well. Um, yeah, really a decent host of movies today. I tried to do a little bit of extra... Uh, tertiary watches as well but i think all i got to watch was iron man one uh like uh in little sparse moments ah that's Um, how it started in a cave with a box of scraps (laughs) exactly oh man war machine looks so different um (laughs) uh yeah no um next time yeah i wanted to watch iron man three but uh my girlfriend did not, so <laughs> she wanted to watch Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollow Part Two, and I did not. So we ended up just watching. Uh, I think you should leave. So no, Toy Story Four. No, I'm glad I now have the prerequisite to watch that because I've been I've been meaning to watch that, but I also have not, had not seen three until just like a few days ago. So now I can finally I can finally watch that one, and I won't be lost. Yeah. Where's the dog? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Decent slate of movies this week. Well, I'll say not a great slate of villains. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely... Yeah, definitely like weird choices for villains. Or I guess I guess this is the one weird choice. The Harry Potter one's so weird choice. The Iron Man 2 one's... Kind, I guess I understand why, because he's kind of like the, he's the super villain, but like, he's not as like slimy as like the, I can't remember the name of the actor, but like the, in Iron Man 2, that one guy. Yeah, he's a little more, he's a little more fun, and a little more kind of like a villain, but if he had only, what would would they do, you know? Today we're here to talk about, yeah, unprecedented, Um, today we're here to talk about like whip. Whiplash, who's not as good as the villain from the movie Whiplash, which will be in a few weeks. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm super excited. I don't, I don't know. I might, mm, if I'm going to rewatch that, because I watched that this summer. So I'm going to rewatch that. I'm definitely going to try and get someone else to watch it with me. Good movie, yeah, though. I, re- I rewatched it. Um, The director, Damien Chazelle, like, his latest Babylon is in theaters, and I watched it, and it was great. And if you read critical reviews calling it awful, they were wrong. Um, and I'm like, oh, I should go through like his other stuff so I can do, pro or I mean, I've seen all his. Well, I've now I've seen all his films. I have not seen his little scene debut, Guy and Madeline on a park bench. But I'm like, I should watch that, and then Whiplash, and then First Man, and then just like have. The whole whole picture on him, like La La Land, I watch a lot, a fair bit. Um, 
And then I watch Whiplash, and I'm like, wait, this is a podcast watch. Like, this counts as homework. <laughs> but <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Anyways. Yeah, so, kind of a weird villain here. Um, originally, our friend Jack was supposed to be on this episode, which, because he was, of course, on the single white female episode, and he was like, it'd be funny if I came back for the roommate. But then the recording delays kind of threw this in a bad time time for him as um, he is about to become a dad is the thing. So he's more focused on getting ready for that than on appearing on his friend's podcast. Ah, it better be a real good kid to be worth it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to talk to him. I don't like a friend's kids on mic, but... There's, like, a decent chance, not a huge one, but a decent chance that I'm going to have the same birthday as this kid. So, if that happens, everything's forgiven, Jack. <laughs> but, yeah, but Jack, like, who typically prepares lists of alternates, is like, this should be easy to come up with five villains who are better than all of these. And then I'm like, well, if you send them, I'll have them. And then he didn't, but he's like, like, in, in Jack's thing, you know, not to get spoilers for there. He's like, Lotso's probably the winner, but they also shouldn't have nominated Lotso. (laughs) Anyways, so the 2011 MTV Movie Awards were held June 5th, 2011. Um, This was the Twilight Saga Eclipse year. Twilight's still going strong with eight nominations. Um, When it was... It's weird. This is... Oh. I'm like, this doesn't say who hosted, but it was hosted by um, Ted Lasso himself, Jason Sudeikis. Sudeikis, um, star of such films as We're the Millers and Horrible Bosses, which we'll talk about um, next week. They They retired the global superstar category after introducing it the previous year. WTF moment was retitled Best Draw Dropping Moment. Draw Dropping Moment. Um, Emma Stone won Best Comedic Performance, being the only second, only the second female winner of that award. Gary Busey presented Best Movie. I guess that was his Apprentice time. That's odd. Yeah. So here's something interesting in continuity to, I believe, like. Uh, a previous Best Kiss episode. Best Villain was presented by Steve Carell, Emma Stone, and Ryan Gosling, the stars of Crazy Stupid Love. Oh, how neat. They're all back together for that. While Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively presented Best Kisses this year, what do those two know about kissing? They're only married. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Oh, man. This is also... I think the Wikipedia page has been a tad compromised um, just because I keep on seeing a Nightmare on Elm Street in a bunch of places it probably shouldn't be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had to, like... Right, this is an ep- one where we had to go looking because originally part of the reason Jack wanted to do this episode is because the separate MTV Movie Award Best Villain page had listed Val Kilmer on there from MacGruber. Um... And then when I was looking at this page, there was only five, and one of them was Jackie Earl Haley, and I'm like, hmm, is this right? 
So I actually had to look up the official list of nominees. Because uh, at that point, too, then suddenly Val Kilmer was gone, and it was there, and it was, well, which is the real list? And the real list is the one we're going off of today. Um, oh, that's good. <laughs> it would have been nice to see A Nightmare on Elm Street, the kind of, like, uh, after watching Friday the 13th, kind of getting another or another reboot-ish type thing. Yeah. I wouldn't have minded if we had to talk about, like, Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, certainly more interesting than, like, one of the films we do have to talk about, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. And then, oh, so they did Best Latino Actor category. Yeah, I saw that, too. Maybe that'd be a nice, oh, nice one-off. Or did they, did they show yeah, more that... than once? It doesn't seem like they did more than once. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at these movies. Unstoppable. Ooh, the last Tony Scott film. Yeah, we should definitely do this at some point. Mm-hmm. Danny Trejo, ben, Benjamin Bratt, J-Lo. What's a Vega one? Ooh, Zoe Zavanna. Just some of our finest stars in that category. Well, best line from a movie went to, I want to get chocolate wasted from grown-ups. How did... Okay, so they have... The thing is that they have a thing from the social network. They have two from the social network, and neither one of them is lawyer up asshole. That's so lame. Yeah, I mean, look, I get keeping that if you guys were the inventors of Facebook, you'd have invented Facebook ones on, but you didn't need the Justin Timberlake quote. <laughs> yeah, or like, yeah, that whole, any any line from that whole Andrew Garfield rant in that scene would be, would suffice. Yeah. And then the Inception line, like, you mustn't be afraid to dream a little big, bigger, darling, is one of those ones I feel works better in, yeah. like, context. Yeah, it seems like... like yeah, it seems... I'm trying, to think, I'm trying to think of any other lines from the movie that would work better, but yeah. The Social Network one, you're going to give two to Social Network. Yeah, and both of them are... Yeah. I guess almost every other line from Inception is just exposition <laughs> about the movie Inception. Yeah, it's the only metaphor <laughs> line. Everything else is just blatant yeah. exposition uh, i guess no no wait you could you could do one from like a ken wantanabe line like when he's the old man in the castle like the one about them being yeah but i guess maybe that would be not a spoiler but i feel like that would be it's not as cool as like we're like wasting all our best line from a movie series material here but... oh yeah oh that's gonna be a fun one we could probably do that. It'd be short, uh, be a short series. I bet we didn't do it that much. Yeah. But anyways, so if you want to get into it, for best villain, the nominees are yeah, Ned Beatty, Toy Story Three, Leighton Meester, The Roommate, Mickey Rourke, Iron Man Two, Christoph Waltz, The Green Hornet. And the winner for 20 minutes, if that, of screen time is Tom Felton in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part 1. <laughs> what a... And here's the thing. Going into it, I was like, it's so weird because, like, he's barely in this one. He's in, like... He's not even really all that much in the one previous. But, like, Voldemort is in this movie, spoilers... Um, for, like, enough time that you could probably could have given him an, at least a nod. 
You could like, even give it to Umbridge again, who they yeah. think shunning. Like it's Yeah, I don't know, like what it was very I you know, if we could have a time machine and go back and see the, what Draco in leather pants or whatever that craze was, it must have been real strong, you know? Yeah. The, as I said, like the Draco Malfoy, like there's all been a thing of fascination about him, you know, he's the bad boy, but oh he has a soft side. And like this film, he's not even really a villain at this point. He's fully, like, a victim. Um, who's yeah. kind of being forced to, like, do this stuff. And, you know, has, like, this is the point for the Malfoys where they're like, oh, this is not fun for us anymore. But, yeah. They're not having a great time. But, but yeah, like, this is a time when portrayals, uh, portrayals of Malfoy, like, in the fanfiction world, or... I, I think I said I'd br- bring it up now, but the, there is... Um, the, the, the theater company Team Star Kid who makes, like, elaborate musicals, some parodies of actual things, so they increasingly have their own original stuff, which they then put on YouTube for free. Um, they, of course, got their big start on a very Potter musical, where the character of Draco Malfoy was played by, like, Lauren Lopez, and just, like, basically this, this really, like, I want to say, like, kind of elf-like in portrayal, just, like, but, like, a lot, like, a lot friendlier, like, you know, e- even when he's, like, trying to be me, like, it's not really, but, like, he's just, like, really goofy character, like, a really fun portrayal. His whole motivation is he wants to go to the school on the moon pig farts. Um, it's, it's, like, really funny, and so maybe there's, like, some sorry people who are like, well, we can boost, like, the real, like, Tom Felton here, but, yeah. You know, what's there to say about Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part 1? At least in terms of, like, the villain choice. Like, Yeah, it's just, there's not... Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of villains in this movie. And it's, like, it's weird that they went with this one. <laughs> um, yeah, there's not... How much more to say about the villain choice? Um, yeah, the movie, I feel like my thoughts have more or less unchanged from the last time we talked about it unless i'm completely misremembering how i felt about it um yeah this is kind of the harry potter where like half of it is just the main three just like in the woods um just kind of like trying to find horcruxes but like not having no luck and just being very lost i'll say it makes for an as i've said before it was like this is this this is one the harry potter's that uh, some people say, oh, it's quietly one of the best ones, and I would kind of agree just because it is very much a movie where it's, okay, Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, and Rupert Grint have grown up with and gotten very good at playing these characters over the years, and this is the film that basically gives them the show, and, you know, there's some set pieces there, but it largely is, like, the interplay between these three characters, um, yeah, um, which is, I, I feel like that's pretty cool, considering that, like, a lot of the reason, like, a lot of my enjoyment from watching these movies does come from, like, the kind of fantastical world, and this movie departs from that for quite a large chunk of it. Um, you like, could have even given it to, like, the Horcrux. That's, like, that's yeah. the villain of this movie. <laughs> like, give it to Daniel Radcliffe and... Emma Watson for being like the shadow <laughs> Harry's. Yeah, the that would have been. That Instead of been giving amazing. them best kiss. Oh, like... Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, 
yeah this is uh spoilers this is famously the movie where uh dobby dies um it's very it's very goofy it's very is it is that how he goes out in the book yes oh, okay like uh, yes that is like exactly from the book oh, okay it's just very because he shows up and then he just dies he dies so fast <laughs> Um, um, he, he yeah. does good though. He does good. He, he helps out. Yeah, the the thing with Dobby in these, in like these movies is, um, Dobby is a big part of the second movie, and then he is largely absent absent until this film. But in the books, he is like a recurring character in the universe. It's like he starts working at the school in the kitchens, and he pops up, and does like his Dobby things. And there is a lot more Dobby stuff and. He's much more established as a character than, like, this... And then this was kind of those things where, you know, it was cut out at the same time, and now they're like, well, guess we have to do this. Just Yeah, it's... It definitely... I mean, like, again, I'm watching these super out of order, so I don't really get that feeling um, of, like, missing out on him because I've missed out on everything. Uh, but yeah, no, like, it's... I'm sure it was very special for people, even, I guess, people that, like, read the books and, like, knew how important this character was, but people that were just moviegoers might not have yeah. that same impact. Yeah, and that, that's why, like, if you can argue why well, these things aren't as successful as, like, movies that can stand on their own without an attachment to the books, like, it's this scene and then the scene, the scene in, like, the sixth movie where... They just have to attend the funeral for Hagrid Spider, who again is more of a character in the books that gets set up, wherein in the movies he is in like one movie and then suddenly he's dead four movies later. Like it's yeah, it's one of those things with adaptation where it's like there are certain beats that you have to hit and just you might not have time to like you might not be thinking about it, you know. Yeah, and then thinking of. Well, on the topic of Dobby, I don't know, but a clickle article that recently came up that, because as they head into their end of the year time where they're just sharing like past articles, is one that's like, a piece of history, the riding mower that Whoopi Goldberg, John Denver, and Dobby used to escape New York after the 9-11 attacks is coming to the Smithsonian. So that was my first thought <laughs> when you brought up like Dobby in this one. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a very funny ar- article that has, like, lines like, <laughs> might as well just recap the thing by like, upon arriving, visitors will begin their tour of the exhibit by listening to a recording of the freeway call placed by Goldberg to her best friends Denver and Dobby as soon as she heard the first hour fell in, but she frantically yells, a black woman, an elf, and a hick, we're gonna be next, we gotta scram! <laughs> <laughs> it just gets funnier from there. <laughs> Including, like, a thing that was saying, Dobby, reach the world of we all try and turn on the mower crying, Dobby wants to fight! Dobby wants to go back and wage holy war! To this day, historians agree it's never been clear which side Dobby intended to help. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, Ken, I, I tried. I tried this time to, you know, give it the benefit of the doubt, but I feel like Harry Potter just said another thing that I'm not super into. Uh... But I just don't, I'm trying to, I'm just struggling for things to, to super say about it. I mean, um, 
We've covered it it's a lot. It's okay to like not be that into Harry Potter in 2022. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I picked the perfect time to not be into Harry Potter. Um, yeah, it's like, take that, Joanne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's one of those things where I feel like the... I feel like this movie's pretty good just for like the hour of like just like the three people in the woods. Um, I feel like it do- it does have like a weird underlying problem that I feel like is in like all of fantasy, where it feels like it feels like there are sometimes situations that like there's no benefit to paying attention because like the solution is just going to come out of magic, um, or like. Maybe if you paid really, really close attention, you'd know. Or if you read the books, you would, like, know, like, what kind of the thing is. Like, I think, like, a small, like, it's, like, a bit of a microcosm. But just, like, the little light thing that Ron got that, like, led him back just made no sense. And it just felt like, oh, okay, I guess that's, I guess it was a gift, so it had to be important. And I was like, oh, it, like, steals light. And then it can, like, be put back. And, like, and like maybe I didn't pay attention. But, like, it seemed like he just, like, opened it and it led him there. But, like, I don't know. Maybe it could have been. Maybe he took a light before he left. And then because he took the light from the tent, that's how it could have led him back. It's, just, it's one of those things where it's, like, I feel like if you're watching something a little more grounded, uh, they don't have to. Like, stuff can also be poorly written as well. Um, but like, it feels like there's like a benefit to like paying attention and like seeing like how they could solve this thing. But it feels like when I'm watching Harry Potter, there's like a, like a 40% chance that it's just going to be a magic thing. That's either just introduced Nair or it was in like the books. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in the instance of that particular thing, that does come from a thing that they're like, okay, we have Dumbledore as well. And, um, obviously like the snitch that Harry gets is, like, very important to, like, the Deathly Hollows thing, as is Hermione getting the book. And then they're like, well, I guess we need something for Ron. So then they just come yeah. up with that as the idea of, well, maybe at some point, it's like Dumbledore's like, eh, Ron's gonna, like, give up at some point and then regret it. So here's this thing for him. Like, shows he doesn't seem to really think highly of Ron. It's <laughs> And yeah. to be fair, he was right. He was totally um, right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, yeah, and Felton, I, he's fine. This is just... It's so weird. And, like, the thing is, he's probably not even going to be last in my villain rankings. That's how much I disliked another one of the movies on this list. Um, but... Yeah. Oh, I don't think he's going to be... Yeah, second to last for mine, I don't think. Uh, let me... I would, I'll have to think about that. I'm, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see how I feel after our discussion of a certain other movie. But I've definitely had things where, like, I go into the podcast with my list, and then through us talking about it, I've been like, oh, I actually feel a little differently about this now. Yeah. I've been swayed before on this, but, um... Like that yeah. famous time you accepted that the iceberg was the true villain of Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have so little to say that we're just going to relitigate that fight again? Um, yeah, it's... Yeah. It's, it's funny. It's like, sometimes it's like, you don't know how to talk about, like, the great movies. This time it's just like, we talked about this movie pretty well in our best kiss episode, and now it's like, 
why is this here again? Yeah, it's also like we just did a Harry Potter episode last time, and like a lot of things I have to say about this like apply to just yeah. the Harry Potter universe and don't I mean, really we did five twilight episodes fine yeah that's twilight though that's a different each of those movies yeah. has their own little thing going on whether it's the first one that feels totally different or drinking thick blood or imprinting <laughs> they each have their own little thing you know yeah um but with that i think we can move on to toy story 3 a movie you yeah. had never seen I've before. Never ever seen. I'd seen the first two so much as a kid, and also like a teen or whatever. Um, yeah, I've seen the first two. Like I didn't even feel like I needed to rewatch them at all. Like I know those movies like forward and back. Um, I'd never seen this one, and I really liked it. It's it's really funny. Um, it's like I don't know. It feels they've created a very cool i guess in contrast with harry potter i feel like they've created a very cool world world with like rules and like nothing i feel like very very few times does something come out of like left field that like couldn't have been like wasn't built upon earlier i guess um but it's also like it's also like dealing with like a much smaller scope and it's not adapting anything so it's just kind of it has that freedom too um look i don't need things to be set really as long as it feels satisfying and yeah. The Toy Story films are really good at making things feel satisfying. Yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, every Toy Story movie, let me think, do they each have, they kind of each have their, like, they're really good at making, like, the world feel like you're a toy almost. Like, whether it's, I think, like, the trash compactor scene in this one, or it's, like, the, um, in Toy Story 2, there's, like, the airport, uh, like, luggage thing. Like, they're, yeah. have these giant terrifying things i don't remember in the first one if there was ever something like I'm trying to think i mean the first the first toy story movie famously where buzz tries to fly and then like breaks his arm off. yeah like, i'm trying to think I'm trying, i don't know if the second one I i'd also say them at the gas station in the first one and yeah like, everything feels so yeah everything feels like so yeah and then the big. second one of course is like Woody ripping his arm and then like having to get that like that fixed. Um. Yeah, and I know I think I don't know if the second one has it, but definitely the first one and this one both have like toy body horror. Um, like the first one has like Sid's like toys, and I think this yeah. one has like has like I think bits of that with like the like the toddlers like smashing them apart. Like, the body horror in the second one is, like, Woody getting his arm ripped, which oh, is yeah. still mild compared to, like, the toy surgery in the first one, or, like, the just... The way the toddlers play, it's one where you're like, oh, Andy's kind of the weird one in this universe for just playing with his toys like a normal person. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess he can't be a normal person if he's the weird one, but yeah, it's like, just playing nicely with your toys? What a freak. Like... <laughs> no i really i really like these movies because like the way that he played his toys is exactly how i would play his toys too like creating like the little like scene and like having like a storyline having like reoccurring villains um i also like that each uh, i like that the when i'm trying to think in this one do they all start with like the like the toy universe like scene or does the first one start that way i know the second one does correct yeah so the first one starts yeah basically with 
Um, yeah, it's a whole it's a whole toy universe thing. It's introducing Woody. It's like I believe, yeah, it's it's him and Mr. Potato Head. It's one one eyed Bart. It's stuff. And then the second one's opening thing is actually the Buzz Lightyear video game. Right. But then you do still get a playtime sequence which has like Professor Porkchop. And then this one is taking a lot of elements from those things like Death by Monkeys, Oh I Choose Dinosaur, like Force Field Dog, all of that is stuff that has been elements of the first two movies. And then th- this is the one where like they. Because in the first one, you're never really seeing, oh, like, this is Andy's imagination. It's always kind of the the world of the toys. And then this one is kind of, okay, this is what Andy sees when he does his playtime. This is, like, the big adventure. This is, like, the can- canyons. This is how huge, like, Rex looks in his world and all those things. Though I do appreciate that I cut back to the actual toy one to, like, what the conclusion to the adventure is. And yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah when you're like oh yeah this is one kid in his room just having the time of his life <laughs> yeah no this movie is just like yeah incredibly charming uh it's like it's a it's like a jailbreak movie too it's really really fun um yeah lotto's yeah. lotto's are really really he's like not man it's really tough because like whew. There's some also, good yeah. villains in the Toy Story universe. You wouldn't think. You wouldn't think off the top of your head. You wouldn't think, like, intuitively. But no, the Toy Story universe has some strong villains. Yeah. Like so this both... movie... Yeah, sorry, go on. Oh, no, you can go on with your villain thing before I... Yeah, like, I was I was about to say, I was like, oh, Lotso's probably, like, one of, like, the best Toy Story villains. But, like, I don't know if that's... I don't know if that's true. He's got a really good voice. He's very menacing. But then I'm like, oh man! But like, there's there's uh, was it that that Big Al or whatever? He's really funny. Uh, Stinky yeah. Pete. Spoilers for Toy Story two. Um, sorry. Uh, Woody Sid. is yeah. Sid Woody is kind of a villain in the first one. He's not a great guy, at least for the first little bit. Um, yeah. But uh, Lotso is like it's. I think, you know, on the third, the third movie around, I think they made a pretty, pretty good twist villain. That's like, I can't, for, I think his backstory is like kind of, yeah, a little, a little lame, but I think he makes up for that by just being like kind of cool and that he's like kind of just rigged this whole system and he just has like, I feel like, you know, when has a Toy Story villain had, you know, systemic power? Uh, that he abuses. I feel like there's not a lot, you know, in that regard in the other villains. Yeah. I'll say, Lotso, he's commonly... He's commonly identified as a twist villain. This is where I'll get into, like, Toy Story 3 is a film that it is kind of held in very high esteem by, like, some crowds. It's kind of the end of the run where it's, like, Ratatouille, WALL-E, UP, Toy Story 3, where it just seemed like Pixar was getting, like, rave reviews and Oscar noms and, like, everyone going, wow, they keep getting higher and higher and higher, what's, yeah, wow, and before, like, kind of Cars 2, Brave, sort of just bring that crashing down a bit, um, <laughs> but, yeah, but, but then it's also a film that, um, as someone who 
deeply loves the Toy Story films. Like, I have... I had a Woody when I was younger who I believe, yeah, I still have, like, kind of just off somewhere, like, in a closet or something. Like, I was very attached to those characters. And the thing with Toy Story 3 is it came out basically at a time where everyone who was me, I'm a kid who grew up with Toy Story 1, essentially now was getting to the point where they were now kind of Andy's age in this movie. Like, this film came out the year I graduated high school, and it is, like, a story. Weirdly, this may be the only Toy Story I did not see in a theater, um, just because I was busy with, like, camp and stuff and did not get around with it, it until, like, the fall. But kind of just around that time of being in that transitionary period and growing up. So this film definitely, I think, gets a lot of power from there. But there are arguments also that I think have been made about this film in years. One is that it kind of is not really saying anything new that, like, Toy Story 2 didn't already say. Like, you know, it's the thing that's one day your owner's going to outgrow you, but it's going to be okay. And then Toy Story 3 is just kind of dramatizing what Woody had already kind of made peace about at the end of the second one. And then also there is an argument that says that really the prison break is just kind of killing time before getting to the furnace, which they almost get to at the beginning of the movie, but they're like, no, we have a whole movie to do before we, like, we can't just have them have this revel revelation. And then there's also things, and this is where I kind of disagree, where, and I'm sure Jack would have talked about it more here, where Lotso, in a way, is kind of a repeat to, of, like, Stinky Pete, both sort of in how he is initially presented as a, like, positive character, and then also kind of his worldview of your owners are going to, like, abandon you, like, toys aren't having that, aren't having their, like, you know, the re the relationship between a toy and an owner does not matter because you are replaceable to them. But where, like, Stinky Pete's perspective is, that's why we need to get into a museum. Lotso's one is... Toys are all, we're all trash, but I'm at least going to, like, rig the system so I'm, like, at the top of the trash pile. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I kind of agree. Uh, I do, I think this one is kind of nice, because you are right that, like, the second movie sort of, like, tackles very similar things. But I feel like this, because one's kind of neat that it kind of deals with the fallout of that almost. Um, and I, yeah. I feel like Toy Story 4 even expands upon that further from what i've heard about it at least or what i've like seen things about it um, yeah it's interesting this film is effectively the end of the toy story like saga and then what four does which i find compelling again as someone who grew up with full woody is then it becomes about woody to his thing where it's like what happens like to woody in a post sandy world where he's maybe not the most important toy in the the playroom like does he always have to have an owner can is there like a life for toys outside of like their kids can they just have their own adventures like that's kind of a lot of the stuff that four um tackles which i think is, i think is there i'll say i do love this movie a lot um and it's definitely the best thing we watched this week um, yeah <laughs> unless you were yeah. i don't know i guess i was about to say unless you're me and you watched iron man one but even iron man one has its faults whereas this was just a pleasant like funny little thing like i I'm always so, like, I'm, I pretty much enjoy, like, every quip from these movies. Like, um, 
it's weird because I feel like with with these kinds of movies, it's always like moments where I kind of groan or go, ah, it wasn't that funny. But like these Toy Story movies are usually like very funny. They're usually like very like witty and like they got like good visual humor. Um, like even the way the toy, the way Woody runs is just very funny. Um, you know, I, after watching this though, I just, I, I just need to know the movie. What is the movie Andy saw that made him want to buy Buzz Lightyear? I just, I'm left with that burning question after the credits roll. (laughs) Is that, uh, but hopefully, hopefully one day, you know, someone will see what I see and try and answer that question. Yeah, and I'll say, as much as I brought out, like, the critique of, or critiques going in, in, like, that's not necessarily, again, that's not really, yeah, my opinions, per se, like, as much as this film is covering similar thematic territory, I think it's fine to just have these, like, be fun capers, like, the prison escape stuff's all really good, Ken is, like, Ken is great, the telephone toy who, like, the moment that really just sticks in my head is, like, just this character of the telephone that's, like, helpful, but then later on it's, like, beaten up. He's like, sorry, cowboy, they broke me. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so good. Like, that's so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's... And then also, oh. like, the character of Bonnie, who, like, as someone who, again, grew up as, like, a young boy who played with toys who identifies with, like, Andy, it, it's always going to be like a challenge to introduce a character who can like fill that shoes and then bonnie is just delightful like the and the, the sequence of just playtime in her room and you kind of see the way how she plays and how it's like very distinct from andy it's more spontaneous it's like very of the moment but then somehow like the most powerful shot in the film and though i'll say there are people who are always like one of the, the ending is so manipulative. You're crying in the furnace, and then you're crying when you're giving away the toys. And I'm like, I'm not crying in the furnace. They're not gonna die. It's like a kid's film. Like, just... yeah. <laughs> what a what a powerful way they could have ended the movie. <laughs> With yeah. all the toys just getting crowded up. Yeah, the thing where it's like, it's their descent into hell. I'm like, like yeah, okay, it's not like a Toy Story movie. Like, it's tense the first time where you're like, how are they getting out of this situation? And then the claw payoff is fun. But then rewatches, I'm not like, oh no, the furnace. Where like, yeah. Yeah. Where like the two moments of this film that are always powerful for me are both kind of Andy giving away the toys and that final playtime, which does make me cry every time, I will say. When, like, when Andy suddenly, like, just joins in with, like, the the play playtime for a, for a thing, and they get that last moment. But then also, the initial playtime sequence in Bonnie's room, where they do a shot where it's, like, passing Woody's face, and he is in toy mode. But somehow, they're still able to communicate that this is, like, the most fun he has had in a very long time, and he is experiencing joy... And they do it, like, they barely do anything. I think they just show his pupils, like, have dilated a bit. But, like, yeah, it's just really powerful. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, I also, I like, uh, I like all of Bonnie's uh, toys as well. They're all very funny. I thought the, I thought the, is the, I could be crazy. Is the unicorn voiced by Will Arnett or just a guy that sounds like him? No, oh no no the the unicorn is voiced by uh, Jeff Garland. 
Oh, okay. Who, yeah, who years after his CGI debut would later have to be CGI'd into the very live action show The Goldbergs after, after like the actor like um got kind of fired for sort of just bad bad behavior on set. Like maybe nine seasons was more than he could handle, and he was taking it out on people. But they didn't want to like have to deal with with like having to write off his character midway through the show. So he's just either off screen or in a very critical moment with like one of his character's daughter's wedding. It's just, I'll like, I'll send you like a picture of it later. It's just the most like insane CGI, like CGI poured in clip of like him (laughs) just there. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Well, We'll do it after the recording, but mm-hmm. but yeah, the Bonnie toys are all fun. Um, Mr. Pricklepants, the like porcupine. Yeah, he's like, my favorite. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but, but but like Kristen Shaw is like Trixie the Triceratops and stuff. In yeah, um, yeah. we haven't talked. I mean, I guess we, we've talked a bit about lots. So, but I'll say, I think a more pressing thing to to talk about there is. What are the physics of Mr. Tortilla Head? Yeah, that's, um... Yeah, because I assume the potato husk is lifeless. That's not the part of him that's alive. It's all of his limbs are independently yeah. alive. And Yeah, which I guess is something they set up with, like, how Mrs. Potato Head can see out of the eye that's been left behind in Andy's room. Yeah, plus I but, feel like there are, like, a lot of scenes where, like, the arm will, like, start crawling back. Um yeah. But the implications of him being able to just command a tortilla when, like, all his parts are left there, like, it's one of those, like, great Toy Story ideas where, like, you kind of want them to, like, dive more into it, but if they dive more into it, it's not going to be as good. Like, it's... Yeah, I'm trying to, like, I... I'm trying to think if there's ever a moment where he actually, like, moves the tortilla independently, or is it just his appendages moving the tortilla and like his he actually has no control over the tortilla it's like the it's like uh the tortilla is falling apart by the end as soon as it's getting like ripped yeah it's it's a tough one it is does he yeah how much control does he have if if he is able to connect to something is it any is it none uh because it's yeah it looks like the tortilla like i don't trying to think if there's any scene where like he actually moves the tortilla itself or there's just his arms and feet sort of like just using it as like a a chassis almost yeah like it's a and then and of course the other thing with these toy story films is and another little like thing people will bring out about like this about the sequels like kind of two but especially three and four is they sort of run out of stuff for Buzz to do. Because, like, movie one is obviously, like, he has a full arc. It's a full thing. And then movie two, he's kind of leading the quest to save Woody. And then this one, they're like, I don't know. He gets reset back to, like, toy mode and then is Spanish for a while. Like, And then movie four is, is even less. It's a whole bit of him having to follow his inner voice, which he mistakenly believes to be, like, the button that like spouts like the catchphrases um, yeah so so again it's a little thing where you're like oh it'd be, it'd be nice if there was more for buzz to do but i'll say tim allen is like 
very fun as Buzz. Yeah. Buzz yeah. <laughs> no, it is like a very like I like the yeah, he's got a lot of wacky weird things for him to do. He's kinda like uh he's kinda like the He's kind of like he is to these movies what uh like what Fred is to like Scooby Doo where it's like you just kind of give him whatever you want you know you just kind of you can very much like throw him into any situation he's sort of like the the Phil guy um <laughs> yeah but where did he come from yeah like what's like that toy that toy must have come from somewhere you know can't it, People don't just make toys of space people for no reason. Um, I remember, man, leading the the stuff leading up to Lightyear, when people were like, "Wait a minute," was like, was Buzz Lightyear like a real astronaut, like like Buzz Aldrin, and like aliens are just a real thing in the Toy Story universe. Um, <laughs> it's. <laughs> Oh, it's so... What a strange... Strange thing they did make in that one. But, uh... Not a bit, not a horrible movie. Definitely... Probably the worst Toy Story movie, but... That's a pretty high bar. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if... Yeah. This might be... I actually go back between three and four in my, like, Toy Story ra- rankings. like, But they're pretty close. Like, just Toy Story 1 and 2 are so, like unimpeachable for me <laughs> oh yeah those are some real yeah. real good movies yeah so you got anything else to say on um um yeah i think man- oh yeah oh sorry go on lotso is voiced by ned beatty who my dad went skiing with once oh that's so neat i was about to say that like i feel like for for villains i feel like a strong voice goes super far and like, especially in like an animated production where like the voice is all the acting, or I guess half the acting, the other half is the animation. But like, yep, just like very like southern, very nice. Like I think it makes him very distinct, despite all the similarities he has with like uh, Stinky Pete. I feel like his sort of like um, weirdly, they're both kind of different kinds of country. <laughs> like one's like a southern drawl, the other one's like cowboy, like old you know, uh, prospector, um, but, you know, subtle, subtly different and, you know, distinct enough that I'll never, I'll never confuse them. Yeah. And again, there is differences where like Stinky Pete, like his thing is kind of, no kid ever really wanted him. That's why he's never been out of the box. While like Lotso's thing is some kid did want him. And I'll, I'll say, it also shows like how there's an argument that maybe, like it's kind of been a negative for like Pixar that they got really good at like animating things because then for a while it's like almost too realistic and it's only kind of been in recently that they've been sort of starting to let themselves get slightly more stylized again with like Turning Red and Luca but I'll say the animation on the whole like lots of flashback sequence is incredible like yeah in terms of yeah and and, like, that whole thing where, like, they see, like, he sees a new lot, so he's like, oh, he's like, she replaced, like, she didn't want us. They're like, but he's like, she replaced all of us! Just, even though it's clearly just, like, him. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, that uh, the clown, whatever his name is, like, Boza or something. He's also pretty funny. Yeah. I believe it's Chuckles. Ch- <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Just, yeah. Um, but, 
yeah, so with that, we can move on to The Roommate. Um, bad movie. It's just... Yeah, um, not, uh, the best movie in the world. Um, I watched it the farthest back, so I've had the most time to ruminate on it. Um, it's just... Like, <laughs> Maybe their view of mental health wasn't, like, totally off. Yeah, it's... What a... Bad movie on that front. Yeah. It's one of those things where you're like, wow, we just were really, like, like, okay with, like, just, like, kind of othering people with bipolar disorder or stuff in back then. Like, it's... Yeah, it's just... Hmm... It is, I feel like even aside from that, it's just not a fun movie to watch. Um, yeah. It's like a, it's weird. I feel like this this movie, in a way, had a, had moments where it has its cake and eats it too, except the cake tastes horrible. Um, where like for most of the movie, the villain is like really lame like not threatening doesn't do anything like like even like the shower scene which is like one of like supposed to be really scary where she like pulls out like a a belly piercing just feels super tame like you cut the camera far enough that could probably like something like this could go into like a like a pg-13 movie like very tame very lame so like that kind of sucks in like a horror movie. You want something a little more visceral. And then she just kills a cat in a dryer, which was horrific. Just one of the most like, I'm so upset right now. I'm so like, so they managed to be lame. And then when they got really edgy, it just made me so upset. It was the worst the worst thing in the entire movie it just like yeah oh yeah if you're remaking single white female like and this is just for the future too you do not have to include a remake of the scene where she murders a cat and you definitely don't have to make it worse than the original like murder of a cat like we're fine if you don't kill a cat in like a single white female movie like yeah it's like oh my gosh it is just so it's so, like, listen, if this list has taught us anything, if you ever want to make a villain easily hateable, you have them, like, kill a dog. Not a cat. I don't know why, I don't know why that line exists. I don't know why one makes, like, a a dastardly, you know, villain, and the other one just makes a really upsetting caricature. Um, but, yeah, like, it's... That's a, such an upsetting, horrible scene. And then this movie's also just, like, it's got, like, really horrible view on, like, mental health. It's really boring. Um, the main character is just, like, I just don't, <laughs> it's just, I don't know what it is about her performance that just, it just feels just so, like, I don't know. I like her I like her interactions with her boyfriend. I don't know why. I think they always have really like it's weird because they act they act like like people that have been like 
best friends or like dating for a very long time but like they clear they just met at the beginning of the movie which is so weird um yeah but you after a while the movie they i'm like ah, i'm fine with their rapport but like yeah this movie is just so it has that one peak that's that's doesn't even doesn't even help and then most of it's just boring and then the the only good thing about this movie and it's not even the movie is that like i was watching it and i was so bored and i was so just like but like when i when they got to the part where they found out she wasn't taking her meds in my head i was like this movie would be five trillion times better if the rest of the movie was them trying to like hide her medication and food like you do with dogs (laughs) like in like a thing of peanut butter or like slingshotting it into her mouth just something cartoonish and that thought was like kind of funny for a moment and that was probably the only enjoyment i got out of this movie yeah like the time that actually reminds me now of that time my first year working at camp back when you were a wee camper we had a wait we were having a party at this yeah basically yeah, like in our staff members cabin and there were people who they were very drunk and it was their first time like being drunk and no one really wanted to take care of them so we we're like what if we put melatonin in a marshmallow and got them to eat it um no one was really sober at that party it was a bad idea like because obviously the moment they went they're like what's in this like what is this <laughs> um, yeah um so but it certainly would have made this a funnier film i'll say this is also like leighton meester is someone who at this point is best is still really best known for being like blair waldorf on gossip girl a role she is like great in and this this movie completely, like, does not understand what makes her compelling as a screen presence. Like, it's... She's a very charismatic actress. That does not come across at all. Um, yeah. The lead, Minka Kelly, who was on Friday Night Lights, um, not one of the stronger members of that cast, but... she Like, she's alright, but, you know, the villain... But, like, the villain of this is really all you need to get right, and they don't even do that. Like... No. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Also, Billy Zane, like, in this film, also kind of a villain, and it's it's weird, because, again, it's a point in history where they recognize it's not okay for him to be making a pass at, a, like, a student, but they also kind of treat it where it's, like, another evil thing she's doing and getting rid of this guy. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah, ah, yeah. I didn't even read it that way. It's weird. It's weird that this movie, like... Because, like, I really don't like her. Because I think she's kind of boring and very tame. And, like, very much like, oh, we've seen this before. And then she kills a cat, and I'm really upset. Uh, But then there's, like, this portion of the movie where, like... I'm, like, starting to root for her. Because, like, one, she's, like, getting, like like, a, a sexual predator pervert fired. And then she's just going to the club and hooking up with hot chicks. And that's just what she does for a little bit. And I'm like, this is badass. This is cool. <laughs> like, is what is happening right now? <laughs> You're like, finally, a character I can relate to. Just... <laughs> exactly. It's just like, it's just, yeah, I was just like, what a weird part of the movie where she just flips this switch and just becomes awesome for a little bit. Um, 
Yeah, but it is weird that, like, yeah, it is weird that that's in the stew of, like, oh, she's doing all these awful things, but then she also, like, gets, like, a, a, a like, another evil person fired. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess she could have killed him, like, she killed other people. It's also, like, I guess it's fine that, like, she's not running around and killing a bunch of people, but... I don't know, like, maybe she, she should have had more of a body count. Maybe that would, like, make you care. Yeah, more. like, I don't know. I feel like there needed to be... Here's the thing. Theoretically, purely theoretically, killing a cat would be a very villainous, gut-wrenching thing to do. But it needs to be like a... I feel like I'm going to say this word wrong. Like a pièce de restant or whatever. It needs to be like a build-up to that. It can't be like the third thing she does after like one of the things she does is like sleeping in a hallway like there needs to be more before that like that needs to be like a i feel like even in single uh was it single single female, female. yeah i feel like even in that there was like build up or like at the very least it was like it was like a scene and it was also a scene you were like like oh like oh no i hope she doesn't do anything bad whereas with this one it's like it happens so fast and it like it's just there's so many uh it's so weird there's so many better ways you could have done it you know this movie it's got potential but it's just it just it, some it dropped the ball a little bit in the execution room and it dropped the ball a little bit in like the planning room yeah and to be honest, like, I really don't think I can put, like, Draco Malfoy below this villain. Like, it's... Yeah, it's just, it's... Yeah, because even Draco Malfoy, like, he's given, like, a... He's given no time at all. And he's still, I don't know, it still manages to be, like... If anything, it's kind of nice that he's... He gets to be in this part where he's, like, very, like, regretful and scared. Like, his role as a villain to sort of prop... To sort of, um shine a light on how horrible things are getting um you know that even even draco malfoy is not good with what's happening right now like i feel like that's more meaningful than anything that happened in this movie yeah he's a lot of things but he's not like a wizard nazi exactly (laughs) yeah uh yeah do we have anything else to say about the roommate uh, no, I think I got all my, all my points across. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, not a, not a fan of that movie. Yeah, so let's move on to Iron Man 2. A movie that was, like, better than I remembered it being. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I got a chance to watch the third Iron Man movie, because I feel like this is the worst Iron Man movie. I feel like it is. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, and it has Elon Musk in it. Um, so. So, yeah, I watched. The weird thing is that I didn't I didn't watch Iron Man 1 and then watch this. I watched like a bunch of these movies and then like Iron Man 1 or I watched Iron Man 2 and then I like watched Iron Man 1 in like Toy Story like kind of like intermittently at work where like when i was like on my break i was watching toy story and then when i like had to like go back out i was listening to iron man one um 
uh, and it's it was neat. It was neat because I got to see that like this movie kind of wants to have like little parallels. The first one, like a Whiplash, like Mickey Rourke has like has a kind of it's it is a little upsetting because it's infinitely lamer but he does have his scene of like hitting the piece of steel with the hammer but there's just something about the sound design and the music that just it doesn't it doesn't uh it doesn't hit that same oomph it's not as cool um yeah it's it is this is iron man 2 is it's a it's an early mcu sequel so it's just it's (laughs) it's got a lot of disadvantages yeah but i'll say Honestly, that's kind of what makes this film interesting for me, because I remember, I saw this one in theaters, um, like, it, pretty much the day it came out with some friends of mine from, like, drama in high school, and at the time, I remember watching this and going, because initially, John Favreau was talking a lot, where he's like, yeah, I'm gonna do, like, an Iron Man trilogy, and then we'll do this one, and then the third one was supposed to originally plan to, a uh, adapt the famous comic storyline demon in a bottle which is essentially tony stark being confronted with his alcoholism which this movie does a bit but then it's more like oh he's only drinking because he's like has his lithium dependency or not lithium palladium dependency like whatever he's using to like try and keep himself like alive so it was something where i'm like this just feels like it's set up for other movies and you know, the Black Widow and, like, the Avengers thing, and it ending with them going, there will be an Iron Man, it's not gonna be you. And even, like, War Machine, I'm like, oh, this is all set up. But then, compared to, like, like, this is, like, compared to the way MCU will do set up now, with, like, the post credit scenes that are, like, setting up other movies and other things, I'm like, no, no, this was fine. And it's, all these, the movie's kind of, before the Avengers, there's not really a big formula that's set for them. There's, like, some recurring elements and characters, but it is kind of interesting to see these films when they don't really have the formula worked out. And then, as we'll get to in the Avengers, that becomes a, a lot of a template of tone and what they do going forward. Um, in ways that are good and bad, like, having rewatched the Avengers recently, I'm like, oh, they kind of took some of the wrong lessons from, like, what made this work and what should be like applied all the time to these films. But like, yeah, this movie's definitely like messy. Like again, it's just weird to suddenly like the things like, Oh, I'm dying now. And the stuff of his father is a little undercooked. Like, yeah. Oh man. I I think I wrote that down. I kind of wish it was about more about the breakdown between him and Rhodey and him and Pepper a bit. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, I feel like there should have been more roadie time, especially if you're going to do, like, a whole recast. I feel like that should be, like, your focus to, like, get us invested in this new war machine. Um, I also, like, watching Iron Man 1, I forgot it was uh, Terrence Howard, probably because last time I watched Iron Man, I had not seen, like, Hustle and Flow or Empire or anything. Um, but, yeah, like... Yeah, oh, I was going to say, I yeah, the the weird, like, Tony Stark dad conflict and, like, Tony Stark's, or, like, yeah, like, Tony Stark's dad and, like, Whiplash's dad, like, working together. Um, this movie, man, it's so, I feel like, you know, 
I feel like if it came out now, I feel like the movie would be more okay with just the idea of like, yeah, Tony Stark's father just like stole ideas from this guy and just like just was bad and maybe like didn't like and just took credit because maybe he's like a little bit of like an egomaniac. But like they all they like I feel like in this era they just always have to add that line of like, oh yeah, by the way, Whiplash's dad was like kind of evil and like wanted to use it for bad things too. And it's like you don't need to do that. Like you can have you can have the dad of the main character be like a not good guy or like have like a flaw. Um Yeah, and it's like yeah. I feel like yeah, I feel like we've kind of swung the pendulum at least maybe the other way a maybe a little bit too much where it's like it's kind of becoming like a little I'm trying to think it's coming a little cliche a little cliche where like yeah now it's like oh of course like the it's like an evil like capitalist whatever like it's kind of more obvious whereas like i feel like if they were to have done it in this movie it would have been such a nice like change of pace where like they just allowed they allowed it to be like like a morally like bad thing or like a morally weird thing that like Tony Stark would have to deal with about his father. Like, his father was already, like, not a good guy to Tony. Like, they didn't... It just feels so unnecessary. And it just... it's I don't know why. It just upsets me a little bit that, like, they can't just have that. They have to be, like, the bad guy is more bad. Yeah. Like, a lot of the first film is him having to come to the terms with, like, his father's company makes weapons. And... It's not like a Batman thing where it's these people started doing this stuff afterwards. It's Tony Stark was making weapons up until like he crashed in a cave. And yeah. I'll say one of the things I do like that this movie does that I kind of wish more would do is it does kind of dive into like what are the actual implications of if a man started flying around in a powerful weapon that he wouldn't let anyone else have. And just kind of, who would try and, who would try and, like, copy it? How would the government try to, like, get a hold of it? Like, just all that stuff is kind of things where you're like, hmm, this maybe has more juice for there. And I'll say, I think Sam Rockwell is, like, very, like, charismatic as Justin Hammer. As you said, if he was the best villain nominee here, maybe that's the better choice. Though, I do really enjoy kind of Whiplash as a presence, like... The, his initial, like, crashing into the Monaco ri- racing with his whips. Oh, really yeah, good. that's... Like, yeah, it's weird that, like... That's another thing that's a little bit upsetting about this movie. I also, like... I did enjoy this movie. Like, it's weird kind of watching it after Iron Man 1, though, because that is, like... That's a better movie. Um, but yeah, like... Yeah, the race car scene's really good. But, like... um, Yeah, and I kind of like the... The kind of, like, if... if if like I think it's like if a god can if you can make the god bleed or whatever, um, like the sharks will come, something like that. But like, oh, his last fight feels so undercut and so short. It's just it's so like, yeah, it's a li- it's just a little upsetting. But like for such like a common Marvel criticism is that a lot of the third acts of these things is then it's a fight against a bunch of gray guys, which is what this literally is. Yeah, like, it's like, and like it's not. It's got like a couple of good moments. I like the the kid who is 
isn't it the kid who like is in like the iron man toy mask i can't remember is that canonically the kid from iron man 3 or is that canonically the spider-man <laughs> it's one um, of those two he, he isn't i don't believe he's I don't think he's canoni- canonically Spider-Man. Like, that was certainly a popular fan theory where they're like, and then that kid will be Spider-Man one day. I could have sworn I and saw then, something that, like, confirmed that it was one of those two things. That he's either, like, the kid that... I guess it doesn't make sense if he's the kid that cried. Or maybe it does. May, uh, no, because the, the kid from the next movie, then they go, I saw you once. Like, they would... They would maybe make that like a oh no a point. I'm not saying it's like intentional. It's probably definitely a retcon, but I'm just trying to figure out which retcon it is. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll see if it's there quickly. I like I really don't think they said oh yeah, and then that kid is like okay, Iron Man two kid yeah. Peter Parker. Oh, so Tom Holland has said. Yeah, that was him. Okay. Which, in 2017. That's <laughs> uh, funny. Yeah. Uh, okay, so maybe that is their <laughs> canon, which, yeah, sure. Fine. Yeah, it's one of those. It's like, it's, yeah. But um, there's that. And then I also like the, I like the when the robots like mount their feet in the ground and become like a, like a howitzer or something, like a, like a grounded like thing. That's always really cool. I feel like. It's like it's not a it's a pretty common criticism that like the Iron Man suits kind of peak early on when they look a little more like blocky and like suits and less like CGI like nanomachine melts. Um and I, I don't know, I kind I like the robots in this one too. But like yeah, the fight it sh- they should have cut out at least half of the robot fighting and put that towards like the Whiplash fight because it feels like it starts and then it's over. Yeah. You have a guy with whips. That's interesting enough. You don't need yeah. more stuff. Like, yeah, it's it's like, it's super neat and like yeah, it's just it feels like such a, such a waste, you know, just because it's, it's got its own little unique little thing going on, and it's like, it was kind of I don't know. I feel like there's like scenes where he tries to shoot like repulsors at him, and he just can like whip him out of the air. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Mickey Rourke is, like, he's doing a pretty good performance. I think he's pretty neat in this movie. Uh, he goes, my board, and that's pretty good. Um, yeah, the, the bird, the bird is fun. It is, it is something where, and I get part of the plot is because you're like, oh, no, he's dead, but it's just kind of weird that, like, he spends most of the movie just kind of working in a lab. Um, yeah. Uh, I'll say one bit that does work is the setup for the ex-wife super missile. That's just a complete dud. Like, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's just a really funny joke, and then it's like hammer tech. He's like, yeah, but <laughs> do we got anything else more to say? Oh, I guess we can talk talk a bit. Scarlett Johansson like has definitely not figured out the character yet. Like for Black Widow. No, not really. And I guess part of that is like she's undercover, but even like when she's in spy mode, you're like, no, this is bad. This is wrong. Like it's. Yeah, it feels super weird. Like definitely not as ironed out as it becomes later on. Yeah. And then we see Happy Harry. Happy Hogan. Happy Hogan. <laughs> yeah. And then. It's funny. This is where I feel where Coulson becomes more of a character. Like just. 
Mm. When he pops up a bit, when he likes pops up a bit more, he's, oh, he's yeah. kind of in the first one. This is where they start going. Oh, this guy's important, and then it ends with him going, "I gotta go to New Mexico," and that <laughs> winds up just being the setup for like four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird that there was two Iron Mans before a Thor. Uh, so what what came mm-hmm. out in between Iron Man one and two? Did anything? Um, the Incredible Hulk comes out the month after Iron Man, and then there was like. Nothing for two years. Yeah. Basically. What a weird time. Yeah. And then Cap Thor and Captain America are both 2011. Then the Avengers comes in like 2012. And then it's essentially off to the races from there. Um, do we have anything else to say on Iron Man 2? Uh, no. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's you know better. I feel like I was... In, I thought it was going to be more of a slog than it was, but no, it was actually pretty good. This is the the second uh, Marvel sequel I've come back to and surprisingly enjoyed it. Uh, the other one was Ant-Man and the Wasp, which I liked a lot on rewatch. I, I thought you liked it the first time. You are like, yeah, this was good. And then Mac was like horrified because he hadn't seen Infinity War yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um. Yeah, so with that, we can move on to The Green Hornet. Yeah. We're just flying through a lot of these movies this week. Like, But, again, it's not exactly the best year for, like, villains. Yeah, the villain talk is, like, they very much not... The, they're either bad or they're barely in it, which is upsetting. Like, there was a point very early on when Jack's like, I'm going to make this the longest episode. I'm like, Jack, have you seen the movies we're talking about? That's not going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> might have tried, but I'm fine that this isn't a three hour and a three and a half hour episode where we have to talk about the roommate. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Uh, Green Hornet. Um, what did you think of the movie? Yeah. So this is a movie. Um, I saw this one in theaters when it came out. It was. It was one, I watched it with my dad, I think my dad and I were seeing, like, the TV show this was originally based on, or, yeah, no, because he's not that old, he wouldn't have, probably would not have listened to, like, the radio program or anything, but, but this is a movie where, like, I saw it, I'm like, oh, this is okay, and then, for years, it was one where people were like, oh yeah, this is really bad, this is really boring, this, like, what a catastrophe to make Seth Rogen this character and then I re-watched it and I don't think it fully works as like a movie but it's definitely more fascinating than I think people give credit for um like there's something going on here um what did you think um oh it's really tough I feel like this movie strikes a nerve that I feel like is very hard to bounce back off where like I want to like your protagonist in your like light hearted light hearted kind of superhero Batman-ish spoof movie and I just don't like Seth Rogen's character in this I think he's like very obnoxious and not likable um which is upsetting. Um, yeah. I feel like this movie... Here's the thing. I, for what little 
for you know we're given pretty sparingly but for what little we get of Christoph Waltz as a villain I kind I really do like him um I wish he got to be expanded a lot more I like that he's I like that the villain I like that he's very like insecure and like cares about a lot what people think and like wants to be like scary um yeah and like I think like um like uh I think Jay Chow is doing like a fine job i just like i don't know it's just i wish this movie took more of a direction where like jay and seth characters like become like believable good friends <laughs> rather than like you know kato is just doing all of like the actual work and then seth rogan's character is just kind of bumbling and like being kind of obnoxious and being like like a tad tad inappropriate at times i guess it's supposed to be like a raunchy comedy but like i don't know when it doesn't land it's just eh. yeah so do do you know much about like the history of the green hornet as a character (laughs) no i actually uh right up until just before watching it i was like wait a minute is this like a this has to be something that existed before and yeah it was like a radio show i knew nothing about the before though yeah, so it was like a radio serialized character, and it's it's a very similar setup. He like is he he's wealthy. He publishes this paper, and then he goes around in the Green Hornet. And in the in the film, like well, it's always been kind of part of the character that the public believes the Hornet is like a bad guy and a criminal, and he uses that to help him like meet up with the other bad guys and. The, like, Black Beauty's all, always been part of it, so it was interesting seeing how they try and, like, incorporate that into the world. Um, it was a TV show. I believe this was actually what kind of made Bruce Lee big, was Bruce Lee played Kato in the Green Hornet TV show. Oh, neither. It was, like, it was his first major adult role. So then, that, that was one of those things with this movie where people were kind of, like, going, well, they should have gotten another martial artist to play Cato in this, though I do think I think the movie is probably better if it focuses more on Jay Cho's character. Like, I do agree that, yeah. The big issue with this is Seth Rogen, who I I like a lot, like this is kind of in his peak sort of in his peak. It's his one of his first big like stabs at something that he like basically the first one of the first big collaborations, I think, between him and, like, Evan Goldberg, who's, like, his creative partner. Like, they wrote this movie, and clearly, like, he liked the character, but, yeah, it is kind of weird to just make him sort of a classical, like, Seth Rogen, like, Seth Rogen character, basically, where he's kind of a jerk, and, yeah, it it doesn't really work, because they're also not that great at selling the moment where he's like, oh, no, I gotta be better. Yeah, and it's like, I don't know, I, I feel the same way about, like, uh, about, like, a lot of, like, the horror movies we talked about where, like, I just want to see people be, like, friends. I just, like, it's just very, like, it always, like, it always just kind of, like, blows my mind that it, like, I think the movie just, like, um, yeah, I feel like the movie, like, wants you to take for granted that, like, that they're, like, fast friends or something, and that, like, they're, like, eventual, like, departure is supposed to mean something but it just ends up kind of meaning nothing because like seth rogan's character is just very like 
dismissive and rude to Jay's character the whole time. Yeah, and again, there's some interesting stuff with like the idea of this is a film that goes to the thing of oh, his father wasn't perfect, his father was looking the other way a bit, and then kind of decide, like, I think it handles that kind of complicated father-son relationship a bit better than Iron Man 2, but also, it does not make you like him more, where, like, even when Tony Stark is a jerk, you always kind of like Tony Stark, because it's Robert Downey Jr., and he knows how to make that work for him. I do yeah. think Seth Rogen would be better at playing this character now that he's a bit older, and yeah. kind of, yeah, a bit more seasoned as a performer. Um, yeah, because I feel like it is, it is like a tight line to walk, but like, I feel like it's super, yeah, because Seth Rogen now I feel like is really good at it, like in like, in like, um, I'm trying to think when, when did Neighbors come out? Would it have been before? Did we cover Neighbors? Was it last we year? We did cover Neighbors. Um, Neighbors, I believe, is... Yeah, Neighbors is, like, 2014. Yeah, because then, like, that, like... I don't know. I feel like there's... Yeah, there's, like, a... There's an art to making someone that's, like, kind of... You know, he's a little bit of, like, a, a slob, kind of, like, a little bit more crass, but, like, ends up being, like, really endearing and likable. And, like, you know, and it's just... I feel like... I feel like Neighbors is a really good example because i feel like seth rogan's character is like really likable and then there's that other guy in that movie that is like meant to be like really really unlike or like really to be really really crass and likable but it also works because of his performance he's also he's also in blockers i can't remember his name yeah like baron yeah <laughs> you know but like he's so good in blockers oh he's yeah he's also good in like n- neighbors where like <laughs> they... you know they give him like legitimate jokes that legitimately cross multiple lines and you still kind of enjoy him because he's just so good at selling it. He's really good. <laughs> I like the. Sorry, we're in our Green Hornet section talking about neighbors, but I, I still can't get over the choke where like he hides like a little clue in like their <laughs> prank. <laughs> it's so good, but um. Yeah. Yeah. Where's like or, like blockers where he just keeps talking about Fast and Furious. Films. <laughs> it's about the fam. <laughs> Yeah, but, like, I feel like this movie, it's weird, because this movie has really strong elements. It just capitalizes on none of them. Like, the the visual flair of, like, the first fight where there's, like, the, there's, like, the, like, the row of cars or whatever. Like, that little, that's so neat. Um, and they never really do that again, I don't think. Like, maybe very much near the end, but, like, that never really comes up again. Um, like the visual flair of like him like seeing like the red or like the green it's i don't know it's just not as cool as like the cool like the effect of when he's jumping over the car and then it, like the car is like sort of um what's the word like like inception doctor strange sort of like multiplying to a bunch as he's jumping over them and then also um i also yeah i also do like christoph waltz i think i think they could have I think they could have pushed his gimmick a little farther. I do like the gimmick of him, like, like wanting to, like, impress people and, like, yeah, just being, like, really upset that people don't think he's scary. <laughs> and being like, my God, that's two barrels. That's really cool. Like, that's, that's, that's cool. Yeah. Interestingly, Nicolas Cage was originally in talks to play the role of, like, Chanovsky. Um, and then, according to this quote, he's like, the Green Hornet was something that I wanted to do. I think my... Like, Michelle Gondry is very talented, and I had hoped it would work. 
But I think, like, Seth Rogen and them had a different direction for that character totally than the way I wanted to go. I wasn't interested in just being a straight-up bad guy who was killing people willy-nilly. I had to have some humanity and try to give it something where you can understand why the character was the way he was. But there wasn't enough time to develop it, which I think is fair. But I think Christoph Waltz, again, he's very good at playing up where he does kind of, like, humanize the character in that just through his insecurity and, like, him be, like, when he's like, oh, I, I'm Blonofsky, because he thinks it's going to make him, like, more intimidating, like. <laughs> he starts to, like, it's like a, he wants to get, like, a catchphrase. <laughs> also, really funny to have to talk about this the week after Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, like, he's definitely, definitely, but he, he's, I've, he's definitely got, like, that very similar cadence to what he's, like, doing, like, very, like, he's got, Christoph Waltz definitely has, like, a, at least in the movies that I've seen him, definitely has that, that way about him. Yeah, and, like, it does really just show, I think, the range he has, and why he seemed like such a find when he suddenly popped up, like, this was, like, his second American film, I think, and... It, it it's two years after Inglorious Bastards, like this was like a winter release, but it really just shows that that thing where you're like, oh yeah, this guy is a real talent, and he knows like he knows how to be an interesting like the most interesting part of whatever he's in, um, except for his role in the James Bond films, which are kind of wasting him. But um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, Cameron Diaz, another thing where, and this is another element from the radio thing where, oh, you know, Lenore Case is like their secretary, and I can see them going, well, we gotta do the modern thing, we gotta make her competent, she can't just be the love interest, but they then just wind up being, like, way too condescending towards her, and, like, way too inappropriate, like, it's not fun watching two oblivious men fight over someone who's really not interested, like... And we yeah. did not realize that at this point in time. Yeah. Yeah, and like, no, I don't... By we, I mean Hollywood. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, it's like, I do like, I, yeah, I do like the, I like the concept. I do like the secretary that's like, she's just like very knowledgeable and she's like sort of helping them like figure out what to do next, like sort of like without them knowing, uh, without her knowing, like, oh, what would be like his next move? Like what would make the most sense? This movie... Yeah, this movie does feel, it does feel a little aimless at times, where, like, it feels like there's not, like, a huge direction that doesn't feel like it's, like, a clear goal of, like, how, or, like, what they want to do, because it seems like they want to be, like, they want to be good guys that, but are also, like, seen as villains, that way they can close to get closer to villains, but that just never, that never becomes a thing. Like, they're always at odds with Christoph Waltz's character. Like, they never, that's never, like, an element that's played upon where, like, they're actually doing good, but they're making it look bad. So that way maybe they could get, like, I guess, I guess Christoph Waltz does hire the Green Hornet. It just, it feels very strange that, like. Yeah, it's setting up for a franchise they never really made because this film did not do well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it is so, it's weird definitely very very strange also i'll say one of the few meta bits that does work is the fact that like kato doesn't really have an alias so like it's a green hornet's friend just <laughs> <this> henchman <laughs> or 
<laughs> like and just how like how intentionally awkward that always is. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh. Yeah. And I'll say I do appreciate Cameron Diaz like calling them out when she realizes they've been like lying to her. And uh, though it also does not feel like her deciding to help them on after all is really that earned beyond them going, Well, this is what we gotta do. Um Yeah. Yeah. Yep, man. We've watched so many movies, but it feels like, you know, feels like, you know, what is it? White Man Can't Jump is one of the only standout ones where they subvert that. And uh, that apology is not accepted. And someone just moves on. Yeah. Uh, they are, like, remaking White Man Can't Jump, and I hope that aspect is still part of it. Like, Yeah, that was yeah. a... I feel like it's pivotal, you know? Mm-hmm. See, he can't stop gambling, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And then, I also like the bit at the end where they have to pretend to shoot him to, like, justify why he need So he can go to a hospital? Well, that also... <laughs> though that also just feels like treating the film maybe a bit more realistically than is needed in a film where they're also, like, killing people indiscriminately. Like... Like, David Harbour just gets, like, a car dropped on him, and they never... Or is it Christoph Waltz? Like, one of those guys. Yeah. And it never really seems like there's much consequences for them killing the DA, who they don't even really reveal as corrupt. Like, it's... (laughs) Yeah. Um... Oh, yeah, that's the thing. When he thinks he's recorded him, and then he didn't, (laughs) that is, like, a good joke. (laughs) That is really, really funny. I think that's... That is super neat. Oh, man. Oh. I'm also Do we got anything else to say on... Oh, uh, you're also what? Oh, I just also... I was looking at the casting. It looks like... Uh, you won't know this guy, but Ru- Ruben Langdon uh, plays a crackhead. And he's the voice of uh, Dante from Devil May Cry for a majority of its run. Starting from Devil May Cry 3. Yeah. Three. Like, did Dante just not talk before? Uh, no, he was voiced by a different guy for one and two. Two different guys for one and two, actually. I'm trying to remember who does the first one. He used to vote both their names, but he's kind of the one going forward. <laughs> he's kind of the one that he, people know it for. Wow. In his, in his role as Crackhead. Again, <laughs> it really makes me think, wow... As far as much as we have not come that far as a society, we've come far in some respects in that no one really says crackhead anymore. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, right. James Franco was just in this briefly. Yeah, I thought he was gonna be like a recurring character. I thought he was gonna be like in the movie for the long run, but he's just in like a brief little thing yeah. in the beginning to introduce It's the a Miller. quick cameo. <laughs> Alright, anything else you wanna say on Green Hornet? Nah. A movie that intrigued me so much as a kid, just because it it looked like a spoof superhero movie, and there was a time where like I really liked looking at the spoof box cover arts at our THQ, um, like Sunday School Musical. I just liked the way they looked. I like that. I like the palette. It pretty much was just like a palette swapped version of that. And I remember uh, the Green Sunday School Musical, a movie I rented solely based on like the trailer. That's like. <laughs> In the world of Sunday School Choirs, he was the best! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, I remember the Green Hornet was something there. I'm like, I was like, ooh, this looks intriguing. And then I was a kid that didn't 
But I don't think streaming was around yet. I didn't know how to work the internet, so it just became something I never watched. But I'm glad I finally closed that chapter, and it is... It, uh... It was not what just I thought it was. Just as intriguing as you hoped. <laughs> well, I mean, as a kid, I thought it was like it was going to be like a scary movie-esque parody movie, but it ended up being a little better than that. Or a little yeah. worse, depending on which scary movie. All right. Well, on that note, the time has come to rank these movies. Um... Yeah. Um, I think pretty obviously, movie-wise, I think we put the... I put the roommate at the bottom, and then, oof, above that, um, it's really tough. I think I'm gonna go with, ew, probably the probably the Green Hornet, um, with Harry Potter above that, right in the middle. It's like part one of the final one. It's always really tough, but I feel like this one ends up being yeah, like you said, kind of want a quiet, the quiet one of the best ones. Hopefully I don't need to watch Harry Potter for a very long time. So that way next time when I do, I'm recharged. <laughs> um, and then for my top yeah. two, uh, got Iron Man and then Toy Story above that. Um, it's weird. I think in our talks, it probably sounded more like I liked more thing about Green Horn and Iron Man 2. But looking at my notes, I kind of got to go. I kind of can't got to go with my gut in that when I when I when I just finished Green Hornet, that's where I put it. And I just watched Iron Man, like, not, not far behind that. So I'm going to go with my gut on that one. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, mine is mostly the same. Um, yeah, Roommate at the Bottom, Bad, Bad, Bad. Then Green Hornet, like, not good, but kind of close to being something. Yeah, and then above that, and this is where we switch, I just have Iron Man 2, which is, I think, pretty good. Like, messy, but... It definitely has more going on than I gave it credit for at the time. Then above that, definitely Hollows Part 1. Like, I'm I'm not as much into, like, Harry Potter as I used to be, but I still think this is doing some stuff I enjoy. And then, yeah, Toy Story 3. Like, very obvious top pick, but sometimes the obvious pick is the correct one, as I think I said on this podcast before. Yeah. But how did the villain stack up? Ooh, the villain stacked up a little differently. Uh, still roommate at the bottom, though. Um, just managed to be both incredibly tame and horribly offensive all at the same time. Uh, above that one, I think I do, I'm going to have to put uh, Draco Malfoy above that one, right below... Uh, Mickey Rourke as Whiplash. Maybe if Draco Malfoy had Draco Malfoy had like kind of a funny accent and said "my board," maybe he would have been a little bit higher. Uh, and then for my top two, uh, I think I have um, uh, was it Blood 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 Bloodovsky Bloodovsky, uh, and then with Lotso above that. I feel like they're both they're both good. I feel like if maybe. Maybe if this movie, maybe if the Green Hornet was a little more focused on him, maybe he could have taken the top spot. Because he's doing a lot for what little he's in this, but I gotta give it to Lot. So just a, just super menacing, like a twist, but like a twist where there's like plenty of time for it to like develop and like for him to be like a villain for a really good chunk of it. And how about you? Yeah, I think this is one of those rare things where 
we're in complete agreement on our villain rankings, like, roommate at the bottom, like, there's something where, like, maybe we'll talk about it, and I'll feel, yeah, this is better than this character who's, A, not really a villain, and B, barely in it, and honestly, no, it's not, like, just baffling misfire all around, especially because, again, Leighton Meester, way better actress than this, um, then above that, like, Tom Felton, like, you shouldn't have won, Tom. You had all the fans, but I think even you can admit this one is kind of weird. Um, then above, yeah, then above that, Mickey Rourke, Iron Man 2, like, should have had him, if he had been in it more, or got to use his whips a bit more, he'd probably be higher, but it's where it is. And then, I am almost tempted to give it to Christoph Waltz here, but I think I got just gotta go with Lotso on this one, cause he's he is like a really fun character and a really strong villain, and like he you are kind of like glad he gets his just desserts in the end of having to ride around on the garbage truck, like um, and yeah, so that that about brings up best villain two thousand eleven to a close, um. Now we've come to recommendation of the week. What you got this week, Ben? Ooh, um, this week. Mm, mm, mm. What can I recommend? I, I'm going to do a par- so partial recommendation um, because I've not seen it fully yet. I've only heard a couple songs from it, uh, but there, there's a there's a new Matilda. Uh, reboot type thing like musical um and i've i've been sent a couple of the songs and i really enjoyed them so i'm sure the movie oh, which songs uh which one it's like naughty children or something i think was the one i was sent naughty naughty yeah um and then what was the other one the other one it was like what was it, it had i'll be able to find it um uh, Sorry, it? I have seen Matilda the Musical. Revolting Children. That's why I, in my head I was like Naughty Children because it was the other one was Revolting Children. Okay. Yeah, and I really really liked it. I really like those songs. So that's my recommendation: is either listen to those songs or watch the entire movie, like I will probably do in a few days. Yeah. Um, no, Matilda the Musical. I want. Honestly, it was almost my recommendation. Um, <laughs> I talked about Babylon a bit in the beginning, so I can just kind of leave that for the beginning. You talked about Matilda the Musical, like, it's really good. Um, my The song that definitely would have been on my, like, Spotify wrapped if this movie had come out a few months earlier is called When I Grow Up, which is just, like, about the children singing about growing up. But it's just both, like, very childlike, where you're like, oh, we'll eat sweets every day. And also ones where, like, we'll be strong enough to, like, face all, or carry all the stuff grown-ups have to, like, carry when they're, like, grown-up. <laughs> so, like, oh, yeah, it's kind of hitting. Um, but I will recommend Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, which I watched right before recording this episode. Um, it is, it's very good, like, you know, as we've talked, to, when we talked about Shrek Forever after that time, movie I also liked a lot, like, uh, I've never been the biggest Shrek guy. I haven't even seen Puss in Boots 1, but this film, it's really interesting. Like, it's DreamWorks has gotten better about being, like, more playful with their animation styles. Like, this one does what everyone just calls the Spider-Verse thing, where a lot of the action sequences become a lot more, like, impressionistic and almost, like, kind of... 
and almost sort of like still frames a lot of things, but it's a really good movie. Um, John Mulaney plays a character named Big Jack Horner, which is a take on the nursery rhyme of Little Jack Horner. And if you are tired of watching movies where like the villain is either not really a villain or like his just really like tragic and complex and then it's I were like redeemed or you feel bad for them at the end you are in luck because you're not going to feel bad at all about Jack Horner who's just like a monster and there's this film has like what I think is made it introduces maybe the best the best character in the Shrek verse um I'm not I can't like say what it is but like it is like a just spoof of a character from yeah, a popular Disney film who already is represented in the Shrek verse. I is all I will say is a hint there, and yeah, but this is like a great movie. It's it's weirdly about mortality and appreciating your life, which made this the perfect film to watch on the day of this record, which is the day before I had a significant birthday. So yeah, yeah watch Puss in Boots: The Last Wish. Um, I'm turning 30 is the thing, so. Oh, yeah. It's, there's a couple songs about that. Turning yeah. 30. <laughs> um, so, yeah. That about brings us to the end. Do you got anything to plug this week, Ben? Uh, yeah, just my usual socials. Uh, you can find them all at uh, linktree slash gacker. That is L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash G-H-A-K-K-E-R. That'll be everything. Um, yeah. Uh, you also... Remember a couple episodes ago where I'm like, you should just start plugging your link tree directly, <laughs> and it was right before Elon Musk like, banned that off of Twitter. Like, <laughs> oh, no, link tree. Oh, like, no, hopefully he won't catch yeah, me. I'm, like, I'm going to sound like such a forward-thinking visionary in that episode. <laughs> We're like 20... Two, I, I, yeah, that's like your 2008 episode. Um, uh, yeah, now I'm coming up on being done posting daily on Instagram. So only a couple more days left. Yeah. Then next year it'll be hourly. I'll <laughs> never forget. <laughs> Every single hour. <laughs> um, cool. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at like a Wolverine. You can find me on Letterboxd also on like a Wolverine. And yeah, that's all I got for now hint 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 well actually i don't actually know if i'll do anything but i'm i'm like maybe i start doing my old Substack stuff again but if that happens it will be in here um yeah you can find the show on twitter at gold popcorn pod you can find us on instagram which i am gonna get better at updating because i'm still not convinced that twitter makes it through another year at like past the golden popcorn um you can email us at hasagoldenpopcorn at gmail.com. Our artwork is by Ben. Our theme song is by Matt Samard. We are hosted on Friendly Mush. If you like the show, rate, review, subscribe. Talk to your friends. Tell them to listen. Force them to listen. Well, don't force, but you know. And all that's left to do is talk about next week. So, next week, and we're going out to get ahead of us now. We are not talking about Best Villain 2012. We are talking about best on-screen dirtbag, 
which the category was temporarily like changed to. <laughs> oh, um, we should. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if I might get in contact with Matt to see if we can get a dirtbag themed theme song. <laughs> um, I feel like that's like a prompt you would love. Yeah, just like special, special dirtbag edition. <laughs> if not, I'll, if not, there'll be a. I'll add a stinger. Yo, we're doing dirt bags. <laughs> we're doing dirt bags. I'm Dracula. <laughs> yeah. So the nominees for best on-screen dirt bag are Oliver Cooper, Project X, Bryce Dallas Howard, The Help, Colin Farrell, Horrible Bosses, John Hamm, Bridesmaids, and the winner, Jennifer Aniston, Horrible Bosses. Man. Now. Oh. If you have listened to that list of nominees and said, hmm, one of those nominees does not seem like the other in terms of, like, tone and movie they're in, you are right, and we're going to talk about it next week. <laughs> but... Yeah. Obviously, we're talking yeah. about the second Horrible Bosses pick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely not the fact that this is, like, three comedies <laughs> and then a prestige Oscar drama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Next week, a light week. One less movie. Yeah, actually, the next two weeks. Oh yeah, white weeks for us. I gotta watch the finally get to capper off my Batman trilogy after so many years. Wow. Um, but yeah. So again, thanks for listening. Keep passing that golden popcorn, and remember, you got a friend in me, and we belong together. Um, yeah. I guess Randy Newman didn't do an original song in Toy Story 2. No. Well, didn't... Yeah, oh yeah, I guess he didn't. Did Toy Story 2 start with You Got a Friend in Me? Or was that something they brought back for 3? No. Toy Story 2 starts with a video game. Like, mm. he still does the score, but... Yeah. Like, they do a different song. Wheezy, like, Robert Goulet sings it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or Robert Goulet sings You Got a Friend in Me, but different. <laughs> really great to bring up in the last seconds of this episode. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>